Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast brought to you by Big Rod. I don't know. I just, I wanted to see what that sounded like. This is a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and who are not in the pocket of Big Rod. I'm one of your hosts, Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm your other host, Adam Pranica. I like your second intro the best, Ben. (laughs) That sounds more like us. Yeah. Adam, I I uh, was looking at our Facebook group the other day, and this will be like a little bit old by the time this episode comes out, but people were coming up with a drinking game based on our show, which is an idea that I really like. Is it the Ron Canada drinking game? <laughs> Frankly, Yes. I think that just seeing Ron Canada do something is all the excuse anybody should need to have a couple of pops, right? Oh, you know, you say it like that, it sounds like you need a a beverage to get through a Ron Canada performance. That's something that I I don't believe in at all. How dare you besmirch the good name of Ron Canada? What I'm trying to say, Adam, is that it's automatic celebration time when Ron Canada is popping off. That's true. You know? We need a Ron Canada horn. Yeah. So people are coming up with rules, rules for a drinking game while listening to our program. Yeah. So Brittany suggested this, I think, and she so so she came up with some some kind of seed ideas. And uh, <laughs> you drink when, for example, we say we've just lost listeners. You drink when Kevin Exbridge shows up on the program. <laughs> That might be the worst time, worst Uxbridge I've ever done. Oh. You know, like it's getting worse the yeah. further away from Survivors we get. We might just have to start rewatching Survivors at the end of all of this. I think just that's a good over idea. and over again. It's like that that one podcast that just watches Paul Blart Mall Cop Two every year. Yeah. Maybe we just do a Survivors episode uh, regularly. That might be that might be the right move. <laughs> um, Six Bay is a drinkable moment. Yeah. Uh, Lawyer Picard is a drinkable moment. Yep. Uh, Big Dog is a drinkable moment. Um, the uh, Yeah, so... Not a lot of know. room to catch your breath with all these. <laughs> I know. You, you, your drinks better be the kind that are like the, the tequila popper, which is like, like half tequila, half Sprite. Like, you got to right. really dial down the alcohol of these drinks because you're going to be drinking a lot it's almost like a century club type situation right just right. line up your shots of beer mm-hmm. yeah you want to uh you, you want to have kind of a battle plan going in because you know like if you're doing shots of beer once a minute you're going to inevitably need to pee before the the hundred minutes is up i recommend that most people listen to our show in the bathroom anyway <laughs> so they can do the drinking game in there they're ready to pee. You're probably going to want to take those last drinks over the toilet anyway. Well, Adam, I just think that I just love the idea of this drinking game. And uh, there's a, a great thread with people suggesting things to provoke drinking. And uh, I, would love to, I would love to hear more ideas. 
As a person who has a an adjunct podcast uh, that that is that, whose sole purpose is to encourage drinking, it doesn't <laughs> surprise me that you would have that position. Well, as the person who has been on it most times as a guest, Adam, uh, I'd be surprised if you couldn't get on board with it also. Yeah, I'm on board. Count me in. This is something we could never do in a live show format, right? Like, they wouldn't let us drink on stage at one of the venues. Yeah. Yeah, there was some weird thing where, like, we could drink, but we couldn't open a drink or something, right? Because we wanted to, like, open a beer, and they were like, oh, you can't open a beer. That would be, you know, that would get us in hot water. Yeah, it's like that thing when you go to a concert or a baseball game. Like, they have to open the beverage for you for some reason. Otherwise, you're going right. to turn it into a projectile. And we were like, we didn't record the sound effect, and that's, like, the most important part about it. And I'm like, this beer is not for throwing, it's for consumption. Right. <laughs> right. It's, and who- it's for throwing into my mouth. Right. And, and also, like, you would, like the, the concern at a baseball game is not that the, the shortstop is going to take a, a closed brew dog and chuck it at a, at a fan, you know? <laughs> no, we don't have those kind of viewers. No. I think that the logic in that was all messed up, but it was like a letter of the law, not spirit of the law <laughs> type of situation. And I think if there's one thing that's sure, uh, you and I are spirit of the law people, aren't we? Right. You know who's not a spirit of the law type person, Adam, is Lieutenant Worf. Hmm. I see what you're trying to do, Ben. You're trying to <laughs> elicit a pivot <laughs> to season five, episode 16, ethics. <laughs> it's hard when it's just one word. Yeah. Instead, I decided to give it the question mark. So uh, we're doing some scanneroos in the cargo bay. What's the deal? There's like a leak? Something's leaking? Yeah, they got a leaky drum. And <laughs> my question for you is, Ben, why is Worf on this duty? Like, they're doing leaky drum scans, and it's Geordi, who is like perfectly suited to inspect for leaks. Yeah. Why, where's Barkley? And He's Worf. like, uh, Bark- Barkley's not there. He's got special on special leave to host his right-wing radio show. Another convenient absence for plot. <laughs> if I were Worf, I'd be pissed. This this seems to be below his pay grade, this sort of right. work. Well, it's also just, like, as a plot device, a strange choice, because there's lots of scenarios I could see Worf being in that would get him a back injury. And this is so pedestrian, you know? Yeah... Yeah, like he could. So let's talk about what happens. They're they're scanning for a leaky barrel, and Jordy confides in Worf that he's a card cheat. That was unbelievable. I was shocked I mean, at this. I mean, I believe that Jordy would cheat at cards just based on some of his other behavior. Yeah, like poor in- impulse control <laughs> type stuff. And Uh, for an engineer, poor impulse control is a career-limiting thing to have. (laughs) But yeah, he he, uh, uses his visor to look through the cards. And I think we've speculated about that being a possibility, right? Worf is telling a bad beat story, which is the most boring story for anyone to listen to if you play any cards at all. He's going on and on about how Troy bluffs him. And Jordy's like, 
you just can't see things the way I can. And he sort of taps his visor. Oh, that would that would make me so angry if I were Worf. And for whatever reason, Worf like sort of shrugs it off. It's weird, right? Because because that like it is a big deal to that you don't know what somebody had if if they went around, you know. Card like, cheating is without honor. Like Buffalo Bill was shot because actually that's not true at all. Like people die at card games for accusations like that. Yeah, I was, have the uh, have the thirty somethings that you play cards with in Seattle uh, been known to draw draw weapons on each other if uh, somebody's suspected? Well, I didn't mention how contemporary that problem was, Ben, but <laughs> but a long time ago in uh, in Deadwood, <laughs> that that could be a thing. You mean the time that you went to Deadwood to do drone videography? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen then either. But I knew it was that sort of place. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't you, you didn't bring any of your uh, fancy shuffling techniques to to Deadwood with you. I didn't. Is that what you're no, saying? I, I left those in the room. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So they're they're scanning. Worf is brushing off the fact that Jordy is a damn cheater, and uh, there's like a a barrel that that uh, I guess they they can't. Despite all the tricorders in the room, they can't localize whatever is leaking. And uh, there's a barrel up on a high rack that uh, starts kind of sagging because it's getting a little melty. And uh, a a big giant barrel falls off the rack and uh, takes Worf out. Look out! LaForge to Sick Bay, medical emergency in Cargo Bay 3. I think about this a lot. Like you go into a, like a Home Depot or a Costco and things are just like up in the steel, really yeah. high. And it all looks really heavy. Have you ever a- been to a winery? Yeah, same deal. It seems impossible. Yeah, like they're so heavy. You feel like, I don't know, Just it just seems it just seems insane to let inertia be the only thing keeping anything there yeah especially when it's in like you know wine country in in the u.s anyway is pretty uh tectonically active it's true this ship has bangers dropped on it frequently why would they stack barrels that high oh god you're right i didn't even consider the bangers yeah they have bangers dropped on them out of the blue like several times a season they never cut to the storage bay showing all of these barrels fly around i'd love a cutaway to the barrels you want to see the cutaway every so often the closest they ever get is in the uh in the movie star trek generations they do a lot of cutaways during bangers and they show like kids falling off the top bunk and stuff (laughs) That's always fun. If you're a child actor, I I think that that's a whole genre that you try to go for, <laughs> the falling off the top bunk genre. Yeah, yeah. That's that's nice work if you can get it. Yeah. You don't want to get typecast as a as a bunk guy though. No, yeah. Yeah, cuz if you you do two bunk bunk falls in your career and uh <laughs> casting directors are not going to see you as anything but a bunk faller. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that is really disappointing about this is do they can never get something that is clearly like an empty plastic container that probably weighs like two and a half pounds to look really heavy? Yeah. Like, 
It's the same problem when they have like somebody moving boulders around and it's just a styrofoam fake rock. Yeah. It just doesn't fall right, you know? It doesn't look like something that would actually hurt. This is hundreds of years into the future, and it's weird that like rack stacking technology has not changed. <laughs> like there are there are like confinement beams for prisoners and stuff. Yeah. And here they are stacking heavy objects up in the steel and there's no there's no beam safeguard at all. It's just barrel on barrel. It's really like it's really bad bad safety practice, you know. They're going to have to go up to that banner and roll back the days since the last needless injury to zero. Now when you're stacking barrels up in the high steel, <laughs> you're going to want to use a forklift that's been inspected within the past 4 years. <laughs> You'll, you'll know that your forklift has been inspected properly by the sign-off sheet posted on the steering wheel. Federal regulations stipulate that, that the load manifest of a, bar- of a barrel lift... <laughs> I can't... I don't even... I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for specifics that I already know I don't have. It's hard enough to do it for, like, house references. Like, yeah. Where, I, warehouse safety rules is like a whole nother. Yeah. We got we to gotta bail out of that bit. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I know that everybody loves this old enterprise. <laughs> so a barrel on top of a barrel mushes down the barrel beneath it and flings itself onto Worf. And yeah. Worf sees it coming and sort of turns his back to it and absorbs the entire barrel with his back. Yeah. And he's a guy that has not had good back luck. You remember when he was thrown over that balcony last season? Oh, yeah. That's and he true. broke his neck and died? He's died from this. <laughs> Anytime he goes to a room that has bay in the name, he should be, <laughs> he should have his head on a swivel. Yeah. So <laughs> Worf has worse luck with bays than he does with doors. Mm, it's true. So Worf gets taken down, and it's not looking good. They throw to commercial. One of the, one of the more intense cold opens we've had. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of cold opens, he opens his eyes in Six Bay, and Dr. Beverly is there to explain to him that uh, he is not, in fact, in a confinement field the way those barrels should have been. He's been rendered paraplegic. Because that barrel crushed like half of his spinal column. Yeah, I think I think she says like six or eight vertebrae. <laughs> yeah. Which is an incredible amount of vertebrae. Yeah. This is this is an episode where we get to know a lot of Klingon anatomy. Yeah, they they uh, they go deep on Klingon anatomy, and there's uh, there's some fun world building, like they they talk to the Klingon medical people. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't really study any of this crap. Like, we just let people buy it. (laughs) I get the feeling, like, you know how when you go to a doctor's office and they have the giant, you know, walls of file folders back there, like for patients, that the Klingon version of that is just a burn barrel? (laughs) (laughs) Beverly's complaining, like, I tried to get some intel from from Klingon 6Bay and they just laughed me off the phone. Yeah.
So Worf is uh, is stuck here, and uh, and to to try and help the situation, the uh, the good folks at Starfleet have dispatched <laughs> the Hood to <laughs> to deliver a, uh, a a doctor who specializes in this type of spinal injury. Ben, uh, a point of order here: uh, that ship was called the Potemkin. Was it really? It was, and the doctor they dispatched uh, ran in slow motion down the stairs uh, to the transporter pad. What? I don't know what that reference is. It's a little Battleship Potemkin reference for all, yeah. all our film students out there. <laughs> no? Uh, yeah, oh, that's I, a two-percenter, isn't it? Never seen it. Drake! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Dr. Russell is the spinal surgeon. And she's like a big fan of, of, of Dr. Crusher's, you know, tries to get on her good side early. She's got she's, some real Pat Sajak hair. <laughs> yeah, she does. She's a little bit sajak Yeah. Not, that's not a bad call. <laughs> she also has like a weird frock. Like she's, she's from, I thought, I thought she was from Starfleet, but she doesn't seem to be dressed like she's from Starfleet. Yeah. She's dressed like she's from like a like Starfleet Central Intelligence or something. They got weird with the costuming this episode in a yeah. number of areas. Yeah, it's like For instance, Worf Worf is dressed in carpet remnants. <laughs> I guess I that's totally part, wrote, that's wrote part of down, his recovery. Yeah, Worf's pajamas look like they're made out of the carpet from an airport lounge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really, like, it's a good thing he can't move, because I'm not sure he could move anyway. Like, it, his clothes look very stiff. Right. Yeah, He's up they're... on the starch, Bev. <laughs> right, and, and like, you don't want that much tensile strength in a pajama, <laughs> you know? It's just unnecessary. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Dr. Russell has uh, some pretty advanced ideas about how spines can be repaired. and She's what, got some what, Mengele vibes, too, right? Like she, yeah. Uh, she, she seems more interested in experimentation than giving any sort of bedside care. I know that as a starship doctor, you have to maintain close ties with patients. But I think it would be best if I maintain a discreet distance. That way I can give you a completely objective opinion regarding treatment. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it, but it totally builds her character as a, like, experimenter. She can't, right. she can't I don't do want to make all a connection. Her... Right, yeah, exactly. She doesn't want to get attached to the cow that she has to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not supposed to name the frog that you have to dissect in science class. Right. And she... she has a good pedigree, you know? She comes from this research institution. She has some some pretty advanced stuff that she's been working on but the the conflict is very early established that Dr. Crusher has ethical like medical ethics misgivings about how Dr. Russell uh, pursues her research and she thinks Dr. Russell is trying to push this kind of advanced uh you know untested treatment on Worf before, you know, more well-tested and conventional treatments are explored. This is sort of teased out a little bit in the B story. So they get wind of a downed ship in an, in an adjacent sector. Yeah, this is even like the C story, I would say. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, not to really in the with what letter you're putting on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's lowercase d. But yeah, shit, shit is really popping off. I feel like anytime there's kind of a like a a doctor centric episode, they like to throw a a ship that needs like hundreds of people to receive medical treatment into the mix just just to make things interesting. The accident they describe sounds incredible and we don't see any of it doctor the transport ship denver struck a gravitic mine left over from the cardassian war they sustained heavy damage their last message said they were attempting to crash land on one of the planets in the maricor system we should arrive in just under seven hours how many people were aboard the denver standard crew complement is 23 but they were transporting 517 colonists to the balati sector and they need it's sort of like an all hands on deck situation like they ask for all the civilians with medical experience to report for duty because they got to beam some bodies up and and nurse them back to health. It's like real, it's like a real civil war battlefield situation is is yeah. what they're painting us, and we don't see any of it. Yeah, it's all kind of implied. Yeah. Well, Riker at at the three day mark finally gets around <laughs> to going down to Six Bay <laughs> to poke his head in on Wharf, which. I just thought it was unbelievable. Like Riker and Worf are, are thick as thieves. And how long would it take you to visit your best friend who had been paralyzed? <laughs> yeah, was paralyzed in the hospital. I'd be there like that day. Not only know? that, Ben, you live in the hospital where he's a patient. Like it's right. not like you have to drive three hours to get there. It's a matter of an elevator and a hallway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 we see a montage of Riker just like going from work to home to ten forward to holodeck to home, dealing, dealing himself out some solitaire in his quarters. He's like, "I'm really doing great at the poker game. Something's different about this table." <laughs> well, he eventually gets down there, and Worf is like, "Listen, dude, I'm not get, I'm not too too upset with you, you know, letting me just lie here rotting." for a few days, but I could really use your help. I have a personal favor to ask. Name it. I want you to assist me in performing the Hegbaugh ceremony. What I need is for you to go get that crazy knife from my quarters and bring it back here. I'm going to use it to take my own life because that is the only path to honor that I have at this point. Klingons are not allowed to be paraplegics. Riker is... Not great about this request. <laughs> no, he doesn't uh, entertain the idea even for a moment, I would, I would say. I mean, like, he's, he's thinking about it a lot, but he's not, at no point does he give any serious consideration to helping Worf do this. And just in case the viewer was confused, I'm pretty sure they smash cut from the six bay into the ready room, and Riker's just screaming at Picard about this. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's an emotional anybody canyon in that ready room. He's like, I can't kill my friend. That is completely idiotic. And, <laughs> and Picard, who is basically our stand-in for Klingon culture, is like, yeah, man, it's just their way. Sometimes you just got to kill a friend out of mercy. To me, this this kind of evoked two things. One Why is does like, my Picard always turn into a hippie? That, that <laughs> seems to be a that seems to be a late motif that I'm giving him. Yeah, I mean, he's not really that chill a dude. No, he's not. But all of his opinions are super chill, though, right? 
Yeah. At the at, you, yeah, when you distill them down, they're pretty chill. But the, yeah. like the way they're delivered is no, no. there's no no rasta on it at all. I'm I'm giving them a a terrible line reading. Is what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm giving them a rasta ri- line reading. The two things that this scene evoked for me is one like it's got to be unbelievably rare for people to be paraplegics in the yeah. in the Federation. Like yeah. like. This is like an insanely crazy injury that yeah that uh, that the doctor can't repair it. You know, like she can repair all kinds of shit. So it's got to be like pretty intense. Like just like a person who like literally has never heard of somebody being a paraplegic in this time and place is is basically being asked to consider going through life as one now. Did you get and- the vibe that it was because he was Klingon or because? Or because it was unique that his level that that the damage to him was so great. I thought it was the latter. Yeah, but, uh, they don't, don't make know. that clear. But the other thing that this evoked for me was ha- like this kind of speaks right to the problem with the Prime Directive, which is Riker has this this discomfort with the morality of helping Worf take his own life, and Picard is like, "Hey, man, like it's not your it's none of your fucking business." <laughs> You know, which is like, uh, I think it is. I think if I'm being asked to make a moral judgment here, I don't want to help my friend stab himself with a weird poison serrated knife. I understand how a friend of Worf could feel that way and a senior staff member could feel the way that Riker is explaining. I'm a little surprised that this is Riker's opinion. It, like, I don't know. Like, I don't really have much to support that contention, but it seems out of character. It seems like Riker, without without having begun this episode, would be the type that would help Worf die because he loves him that much. I think that under different circumstances, he would be down. But yeah. to, to Riker, this doesn't seem like a suicidable scenario. Right. Yeah, they even make the case. Like, Picard's like, how would you feel if you were looking forward to a a remaining lifespan of of pain and humiliation? And Riker's like, Worf's not going through that. He's not in any pain. Like, he just wants a way out. Yeah. They have a pretty sophisticated argument about this. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, like, this may be... They're, like... In a weird way, this is a Riker episode because yeah. Riker gets a bunch of big dialogue scenes where, you know, he has this big confrontation with Picard over this, and later he has a big one with Worf, and I think he has another one with Troy. Even like it's kind of about like what Riker's going through more than it is about what Worf is going through. Isn't it interesting how it it ends up that way so often with him? Like this is painted as a Worf episode in the same way Best of Both Worlds was supposed to be a Picard episode, but, like, yeah, everything lands on him. They let Alexander see Worf finally, and that's been, like, even more days than it took Riker to go see him. <laughs> and I, I guess Dr. Beverly and Dr. Russell come in with with this kind of b minus 
rehab plan, which is put some straps on Worf's leg legs, and when he's done davening, he can start trying to walk around again. Yeah, they and, uh, they lay it out in terms of percentages, right? They're like, look, yeah. uh, you know what? With a little practice and these straps and to fill in that we'll put on you. <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, like, we'll give you 60% of your mobility back. And Worf is like, feh! <laughs> what I was thinking is, like, like it's hard to know if those are acceptable losses to him because most of the time Worf is, like, really into acceptable losses. Yeah. Like, large numbers of them. But does he have to yell towards Stovacor at, like, 40% volume to let Stovacor know that, like, part of his body is coming? Portion of a warrior is, is on its way. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean the other the other percentage that's given here is the uh, percentage likelihood that this crazy treatment that Dr. Russell is working on yeah. will work, which is like thirty seven percent, I think. Even a holographic patient would balk at those odds. And that's like thirty seven percent. He will survive the treatment, not not the not that he will thirty seven percent as good. Yeah, so so and I, I feel like Worf is much more into that as a percentage than 60% better. <laughs> Data hears these percentages of death and he's like, huh, yeah. Like, you know what team I'm on. <laughs> you know what I would advocate? Yeah. Beverly is super clear with Dr. Russell. She's like, do not present this as an option to Worf. We don't need to give him the idea that there's a miracle cure out there. These straps are what it's about. We're going to go straps. <laughs> straps is the plan. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a, I don't, I don't know much about medical ethics aside from the like casual reading a New Yorker article I've done from time to time. But I do feel like when a patient wants to try an experimental treatment, that's given some, some, uh, consideration typically, right? (sighs) Oh boy, we're going to get letters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get the sense that it is far more difficult to undergo experimental procedures than I think many patients would like. Well, it's definitely like a big a big point of contention, but Dr. Russell and Dr. Crusher have to have to drop the uh their argument for a moment because the dancers from the opening number in La La Land have been beamed on board and need some medical attention. Yeah, they they came from the USS Primary Colors. <laughs> the USS Color Wheel. Yeah, I guess the shuttle bay has been turned into a triage ward and they're walking around. There is a lot of uh, nasty-looking cuts and, and burns on different people. There's sheets over uh, faces, so you know it's bad. Yeah, and uh, I think Dr. Crusher is like, working on somebody and she looks over and Dr. Russell is like, is like covering somebody up that has just has just passed away and she's like what the fuck just happened there <laughs> it is it is the most chill on-screen death like that you could ever see and uh yeah dr russell's like yeah oh well i was just trying one of my like completely completely far-fetched experimental treatments on this guy and it didn't work but the data that we gathered in the process is invaluable and beverly's like Penicillin would have cured this person. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? 
<laughs> All the prognosis called for is a couple of a leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this was madness. <laughs> this patient had diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like this kind of speaks right back to the crux of their argument. I think you used this situation in order to test one of your theories, just like you're trying to do with Worf. That's what this is really about, isn't it? Lieutenant Worf. And so Dr. Crusher walks out in a huff, and she's in her office, and Picard comes down, and he's like, hey, listen, I think that crazy doctor who keeps doing mangala shit to people, I think you should hear her out. I think she's got a lot of really good ideas. <laughs> Hey, Bev, you know, uh, maybe we should just try out some of these experimental drugs and stuff. Legalization. Let me just close this door and roll up a towel and put it on the, uh, on, on the bottom edge of it. Uh, do you want to uh, do you want to puff puff pass with, the, with me? <laughs> this really seems like a leap to me. Like, Picard comes out of nowhere to advocate for this experimental procedure. Yeah. Without, I mean... He just seems, it seems like he was engineered to do this. Like, I don't see any character motivation for it. Klingon or no, he is going to have to accept his condition. Beverly, he can't make the journey you're asking of him. He doesn't illustrate his reason in any personal way. He's not like, look, we all love Worf and we need to do whatever it takes to put him back to 100%. Like, he doesn't even make an emotional case. He makes right. sort of a practical medical case. And that's the part of it that rang empty to me. It doesn't read as Picard. It reads as any character. Yeah, like, it could have just as easily been Riker if Riker wasn't... It could have been Ogawa. Dealing. Right, yeah. Well, Ogawa's been pretty pretty silent up to this point. But yeah. uh, I guess this this is enough to talk Crusher into going forward with this. And so the next thing that happens is... Riker comes in and kind of lawyer Riker's wharf with this suicide plan. I am ready, Commander. I've been studying this ritual of yours. Do you know what I've decided? I think it's despicable. I really admired his lawyering in this scene. Yeah, it was like, hey, listen, I like I looked into the, uh, you know, precedents surrounding Mm -hmm. this, read some of the court cases. And it's not me that should have been asked. It's your son. He walks in with a towel and a knife. And this Klingon knife, the suicide knife, Ben, it's like covered in fish hooks and barbs. Yeah. We get a little glimpse. I mean, we hear a little bit about what the suicide ritual is. And it involves plunging the knife into one's own heart, pulling the knife out, and then wiping it on the person who helps. Like... (laughs) The heart's coming out with the knife, right? Like, do you see all the backwards pointing barbs? I don't know how you get it out of your own chest. Yeah. You would think that you would be too dead to do that at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're going to need some help pulling that still beating heart out. (laughs) Um but uh, but this is like you know this is a, a a second scene in a row where a an impassioned case is made and the and the obstinate character sees the light. So Alexander comes in and Worf is like, "Hey man, 
I'm going to do something that's even scarier than kill myself. I'm going to not kill myself. <laughs> All of his special dad moments with Alexander are so terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. a couple episodes ago, he was like, you want to know the most dangerous thing that you could do is allow me to be your dad. Are you ready for that? He's like, yeah. <laughs> this scene, he's like... Nothing's more dangerous than me trying to walk around an apartment filled with knives. Are you ready to witness this? <laughs> Alexandra's like, sure. I'm in. Yeah. He's like, now, uh, now run on back to the, to the room with this terrifying <laughs> knife. Yeah. Not the right person to give that knife back to. No. Too small a child to be handing something like that. My love is a We fade back up, and uh, and everybody is in those uh, surgical scrubs that Starfleet officers wear. Oh, come on, Jerry. You got to see the operation. They're going to cut him open. His guts will be all over the place. Which I really like. They've got the built-in fez. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's like it's like a it's like a unitard that goes up and over the head, but for some reason they've they've chosen a fez top to it. What we don't know yet is that Moroccan medicine will be the form of medicine practiced far into the future. Yeah. They're really betting it all on Moroccan medicine, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they sure as, are. As world builders. This is like the, the tense surgery scene that we rarely get in this, in this series. They, uh, they got, uh, you know, like the surgical theater... Jerry and Kramer are up there eating a box of Junior Mints. It's um, real Shonda Rhimes shit too. Like there's some yeah. there's some med speak happening. Focus the directal beams on the anterior and posterior spinal roots. Focused. Initiate. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of nice techno babble. They flip Warp Warf over and uh, Adam did were you aware before this scene that Warf had backloaf? I was not. I was I, really uh, uh, delighted to see the backloaf. I think, you know, when you're going through adolescence and you deal with face acne, <laughs> often people forget about the back acne. Yeah. And I guess... Anytime should... you go to a pool party and that stuff is exposed, it's just devastating. Yeah, I think we probably shouldn't be surprised that, that a person with head loaf would also have some back loaf. But there it yeah. is. Yeah. You should ask Beverly about a Bacutane prescription. <laughs> This surgical procedure seems really intense. They've got yeah. this, this, uh, this substitute backbone in, in a tray next to the operating table. We'll open the peritoneal cavity, exposing the body's internal organs. Nurse, retractor. They've got Worf flipped over, and I guess the idea is they're just going to swap out his, his backbone, right? Like yeah, a, it's like when you when you like do a an engine rebuild on a car, like you hoist it out, yeah, and uh, take it over, and like you bring bring the new the new one in and lower it down. Um, there's a lot of like there's like a there's like a gummy worm that, that I guess is the like replicated spine that they're gonna put into him. Into the patient. What do you mean into the patient? Into the patient, literally. They get pretty explicit with the surgery. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty gnarly stuff. I mean they don't there's no like over the top into the hole shot. Into the hole? Yes! <laughs> the hole! 
but it definitely shows some some gore. There's some uh, some more blood and guts in this episode than we normally get. I mean, there's there's plenty of marinara splattered all over everybody in that cargo bay. So yeah, they uh, they cover his back with foil when the surgery's over. Put him in the fridge. <laughs> Yeah, well, they just, you know, you let it rest for five or ten minutes before you before you serve it. Cause... You... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You I mean, that's, can't... True, that's true of loaf, that's true of a, of a burger, that's true of a steak. Yeah. You can't have a surgery scene, Ben, without losing the patient. Yeah. <laughs> and what, uh, as, as Worf circles the drain... They they basically have that scene where the doctor electrocutes the patient over and over again using a loaf stimulator that yeah. Nurse Ogawa applies to his head loaf. <laughs> he just uh, <laughs> like she just smushes it right in. It's like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those scenes that kind of exposes how soft the loaf really is. You yeah, know? like I think we're kind of meant to think that that is that's you know pretty tough stuff. There's but, another uh, scene that gives that away, too, when Alexander is crying and he visibly cannot touch his head. Like, he has been told, do not touch your own loaf. Yeah. And he sort of, like, holds his hands hovering over his eyes. Well, he's a little kid, you know? He's going he's gonna to be tempted to lick his fingers if he touches some, <laughs> some loaf, you know? Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Not a bad performance by uh, little Alexander, though. I mean, like, I thought it was a pretty effective breakdown. He's good in... He's not good by himself, but he's good playing off other actors. Yeah, and Troy's there. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty pretty rough little scene. And um, yeah, they're all just kind of like standing around going like, holy shit, Worf is fucking dead, man. He's dead. Did it seem to you that the first time you saw this episode that this was real? Kind of a lot of time goes by that with Worf's dead body. It seems like they passed the point of no return. And, and I remember totally. when I saw this episode for the first time, I was like, holy shit. It's almost the end of season five. Like, they're going to kill off another main character. This is it. Yeah, and I was in watching this, uh, this episode before we recorded today. I was, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because I know that there's Worf in subsequent <laughs> episodes. Like, yeah. how the fuck is he dead? What's going on? <laughs> They kill him for a long time. Yeah. But the deal is they've been they've been planting little seeds the entire time about all these redundancies in Klingon anatomy. The Klingons refer to it as the Brock Lull. Almost every vital function in their bodies has a built-in redundancy in case any primary organ or system fails. One of them that they weren't aware of was some kind of neurological redundancy that wasn't enough to help him uh, with his spine injury, but is enough to help him recover from his spine surgery. And he starts like moving his chin around and taking little breaths. And uh, they like flip on the life support again and start pumping him with new drugs. And uh, looks like he's going to make a full recovery. They vacuum out his underpants, which have been <laughs> totally filled upon his death. <laughs> they gotta get the wet dry shot back oh yeah just sort of clean out that whole area mm-hmm. yeah there's something that uh it's something that they never talk about on those medical shows but you know star trek is not afraid to uh lean into you know what sucks is like aside from shop vax 
Yeah. <laughs> is Riker is completely absent again from this. Like yeah. they they do a little around the horn of of crew members being preoccupied during the surgery and that's tastefully done. Right. But like when he dies, where is Riker? Riker should be him. there as as much as Alexander and if you're Worf, aren't you super sad that no one has warned Klingon heaven that a warrior's coming? Like no one I yells. Kind of, I was kind of expecting Alexander to do that. Me too. Maybe they recorded it and it was just too cheesy. Yeah. It's possible. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. Worf bounces back. There's a final interaction between the two doctors who have been hating each other's guts so much this whole time. And uh, I thought that Beverly was pretty immature about this whole thing. Totally. Like, yeah. Dr. Dr. Russell took a big risk, and it paid off, and she's getting the fucking silent treatment from Crusher. I mean, on the one hand, I understand, like, you don't want to, you don't want to be nice to Mengele. You don't want to normalize Mengele. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, she saved a good friend's life, and I think that deserves not to be silent treatmented, right? Yeah. Like, she knows that you disapprove. I think a simple, I think professional courtesy is okay in that scenario versus continued uh, social discourtesy. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, on the one hand, Dr. Russell should be severely censured for what she did to that guy that yeah. Just needed just I needed mean, some, some She should be uh, in prison. Some basic medicine. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 for sure she needs to uh to have her license uh seized and you know, I don't know whatever the medical equivalent of being disbarred. She needs to experiment in toilet hooch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh like there's a if 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 there was any money in the Federation, there would be a, a major medical malpractice lawsuit uh, gearing up for uh, for this uh, this poor survivor of this yeah. of this crash, right? Because it's like, God, he just went through the most horrible thing you could go through. Survives this terrifying crash on on a planet's surface with uh, hundreds of his fellow crewmates passing away, and uh, he survives and. All he needs is some light medical treatment, and this fucking crazy woman comes and tries some crazy experiment on him, and he dies. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, given that... The punitive damages alone are going to be insane. She deserves worse than silent treatment. Yeah. But it's not really Beverly's place to uh, to be doing that. Yeah. So the last scene is a, like, wharf in physical therapy scene. He's got the uh he's got the like ballet bars on either side and he's like learning how to walk again. And uh young Alexander's there to help him. It's a it's a real touching saccharine moment. The they, the uh, you get a close up on his Klingon bunions. <laughs> you <Ben>. do. <laughs> he has loafy feet in addition to loaf back and standard issue head loaf. Yeah. Yeah, you, he's got loaf that like Frodo Baggins would balk at. You kind of see the whole thing. 
Like you really, you really get a tour of Worf's body in this episode. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has loaf on his dork? <laughs> Do they circumcise Klingons if that's the case? <laughs> well, I mean, what do you think Klingon foreskin is like? Based on what happened when uh, when they had his uh, his uh, bar mitzvah ceremony, I'm I'm gonna assume that Worf is cut. <laughs> oh man, yeah, God, who it's knows f- what that's like? It's not a fair assumption because you know that's not always compulsory, but sure. But uh, I'm gonna assume it's probably real gnarly. Do you think? Uh, do you think it has a? a uh, a silhouette similar to that knife, Adam. <laughs> well, if it does, you're not getting it out once it goes in. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows how their anatomy works? Yeah, you, it, the uh, the button is a uh, is happy family button, isn't it? Strange choice. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? I think I did. I mean, <laughs> it's nice to get a. It feels like it's been a while since we've gotten a wharf centric episode that doesn't, that isn't a thousand percent about his family. Yeah. It seems like we don't get wharf unless we get family anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's also nice to have a wharf centric episode that doesn't involve, like, the politics of the Klingon homeworld. Yeah. Which is interesting when it happens, but it, it's. I feel like a little bit overdone at this point, maybe. I'm a little done with Federation politics yeah. right now. I'd like I could <laughs> I could probably get back into some shoot 'em ups, to be quite honest. Hmm. Yeah, I could go for some shoot 'em ups. Yeah. So uh did you like the episode, Ben? I liked it more than I thought I would. And I think on balance it's like a pretty interesting episode. But um I feel like it maybe made me wonder more about medical ethics than actually enlightening me about medical ethics. There's there's the medical ethics thread, and then there's the right-to-life thread. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the episode was persuasive in any way on, on either of those? Well, I don't know. I mean... I I just feel like totally unqualified for whatever reason. You're qualified to state an opinion about yourself. Like do you do you believe that if you were in Worf's condition that you that you that you would hope that someone would put you out of your your misery? It's the it's the pull the plug question that every married couple has to have, you know? Right. Like I I sort of looked at Worf's circumstance in those terms, which is why when Riker objected so strongly, my immediate response to that was, whoa, Will, like, like, don't you at least have to consider this guy's wish? Like, if he's your friend and this is his custom? Like, I found myself on that side of the issue in, in maybe a surprising way. But I mean, I think that that's like the basic problem in like all society uh, interacting. You know, anytime society has to interact with sets of morals that are slightly different yeah like i feel the same way about like a culture that forces women to wear headscarves like i have like a a reflexive 
negative feeling about that. But then I also have a negative reflexive feeling about like a law being passed to like outlaw that because I feel like it's not. Right. The government's place to say yeah and and it like and it's like one of those things where i like i really see the the argument on both sides of this and i don't really feel like i am confident enough to know what the right answer is and i i, I felt the same way with this with this conflict like i can totally see where war's coming from and i can totally see where Riker's coming from do you think it's possible to rewrite this episode where Riker? is willing to do what Worf asks. And for instance, Picard talks him out of it. Like, I feel like there's, there needs to be one more point of conflict to really make it interesting. Like it, it's not quite there for me that, yeah. that single point of inflection on that decision with Riker and, well, and, and the thing that's being asked of him. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, if I was going to rewrite this episode, the only thing that I would really focus my energy on would be getting rid of Dr. Russell and writing it as Dr. Pulaski coming back <laughs> to the ship. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, that was all I could think of the entire time. I was like, this woman is like is like a C-minus Pulaski. This woman can't drink. Yeah. Great like, call. Pulaski would have had a scene where she was like, knocking back shots with Guinan, and then she's like, well, I gotta go do surgery on Worf. Bye. <laughs> like the airline pilot in the lounge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Ben, do we have anything on the blower? <laughs> uh, aside from a point oh eight. Uh, I'm talking about advertisements. Advertisements, <laughs> Ben. Let's, uh, let's check. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a personal message here. First in the queue. It is from You Absolutely Know Who. (laughs) And it is for Jason in the Union Park neighborhood of Boston. That's very specific. Yeah, it's also Jason with a Y, so uh, that's even more specific. I feel like Jason's going to know who this is. Yeah, and uh, and the rest of us will just have to guess. Wish you a new life year with Riker's luck, Data's immortality, Worf's useful, useful frankness on Yelp, Troy's insight, Jordy's secret jackness, <laughs> Guinan and Rose badassness, and Picard's sexy diplomacy, as many good ideas as Wes, the boy, and as much love as Beverly with that trill guy during their best days. It's a lot of love. If only Adam and Ben could see your hair. Man, sounds like Jason needs to uh, have a hair cast episode. Sounds that way. I mean, is you-know-who saying that we need to see Jason's hair because it, it, uh, it needs critique? Are we? Is Boy. this a supercut situation here? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that seems like one way to read it, and I would love to to be involved with uh, <laughs> with taking one of our viewers to supercuts. It's like one of those remote segments on a late night show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody on one of our one of our social networks was uh, talking about how they started doing the the Star Trek sideburn. Or they, you know, they get the pointy sideburn. 
Ooh. I'm kind of tempted to try that. That's interesting. I don't know if my wife would allow it, though. I've got the, like, I grow facial hair terribly. <laughs> and, like, one of the spots that is very difficult for me to grow facial hair is in between the beard and sideburn. Like, there's mm. sort of a, a hair desert there. There's a, there's, there's a uh, demilitarized zone. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm pretty tied to the length of my sideburns. Unless I were to grow them out in length and sort of comb them down. Mm. Like a K-pop star? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do we have another message, Adam? Sure do, Ben. It's from the dorky dog, and it's to the perky pigeon. Message goes like this. Happy birthday to my greatest Jen, my love, who is a peeper. It's been over 25 years since you started watching this show with me, and now we get to share it with our next generation. Here's to the continuing voyage of the USS Perky Bird. May I always be your number one. I love the idea of pet names that are actual pet (laughs) (laughs) names. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We should point out that Greatest Gen was spelled with a J in this scenario. Greatest Gen, like the name. It's true. Um, That's a lot of fun. Yeah, man, 25 years. That's awesome. Yeah. A good run. I am almost to uh, I'm almost to ten years of relationship with my wife. Yeah. And uh, man, it's been great. I'm not saying it hasn't been, but 25 years, quite an achievement, Dorky Dog, and Pretty Pigeon. Good job by you. Well, I like I like this round of P ones, Adam. It was two birthday messages that seemed to be as deep in the weeds with the <laughs> self referential in jokes as our podcast has now gotten. I'm glad our birthday messages aren't just us appearing from the kitchen, clapping in unison, singing a terrible <laughs> restaurant song. <laughs> so much oh, better because, than that. Because Warner Chapel illegally claimed to own the copyright of the the real Happy Birthday song. Yeah. 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 You get that hamburger restaurant birthday song. That's no fun. <laughs> no. Doesn't work. Doesn't work as well. You just see the creeping death behind the waiter's eyes singing yeah. that song. They know they know just as well as anybody that this is not classic Americana. <laughs> if you're interested in bestowing some of that classic Americana onto a friend or a family member going through a birthday or any other life event, uh, you can call... Ben and I from the kitchen area will come out and read your birthday message to anyone you want. Uh, personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. And they help with the ongoing production of our show. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator 
to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. <laughs> um, my drunk Shimoda is kind of like, I guess like, uh, I, I'll give it to Nurse Ogawa, but I think what the real culprit here is, is like union uh, rules about how many lines a character can get. Uh-huh. Nurse, Nurse Ogawa goes through this entire episode lineless until they get to the surgery scene and then she has like four things that she says like it's it's pretty clear that they were like all right we're we're gonna pay her for four lines she's not gonna be a featured player <laughs> so there's a, there's at least three or four scenes where she is in the mix but totally silent 
in in the episode because like the producers didn't want to fucking pony up and pay Nurse Ogawa a little bit extra to be a featured player, even though she's a you know a repeat character on the show at this point. Yeah, and the way they frame her, like they frame her for dialogue, even though she's not delivering. Right. In a, in a they, way that like leads to expectations, right? It it seemed very clear to me a couple of times that she probably had a line in the first draft of the script, and they like pulled it out right before to save a couple of shekels on the uh, yeah on the production budget. Yeah. Uh, did you have a trunk Shimoda yourself, Adam? Um, I do. I mean, I don't know if you had as much of a difficult time as I did finding a Shimoda this episode found it pretty difficult to be honest <laughs> what i did enjoy was the scene in surgery where they're just having a hell of a time with this back insertion and uh, part of it is is this prop on the table the backbone yeah. prop and they're scanning it with lasers and the and the lasers aren't aren't really like boring through like the the turtle shell that is his back and Beverly is like, I thought you, I thought you practiced this thing. And <laughs> Nurse Russell's like, Yeah, I did, and it only works like a quarter of the time. It's terrible. <laughs> so she whips out her backup device, which is like, we should, we didn't really paint the picture of this surgical set, but it's pretty sophisticated looking. There's like some lasers. Yeah. Uh, there's there's the standard issue barbicide. There's some like crackly lasers and neon. And then there's a couple of scanners. Well, scanner B that Dr. Russell produces is like a hotel room remote control. <laughs> it is, it's, it's the worst prop we've seen, I think, all season. And oh, man. I just laughed at this prop. It's really bad. They could have grabbed anything off the table except for this thing. <laughs> have you ever stayed in one of those hotel rooms with one of those like, those like clean remotes? No. Have you seen this? No. This, this is something I've encountered a couple of times in my travels where you go into the you walk into the room and there's a there's a, a remote that is like specially engineered to be something that you can like hit with Windex to disinfect. Um <laughs> you can throw it in a dishwasher. Yeah, and it's just like it's one of those things where I know that there's like real germaphobes out there that are terrified of the hotel remote and I'm sure that they appreciate this, but it's it's one of those things where it just it makes you think about the fact that every other remote you've ever touched has probably been in somebody's asshole. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, what you're describing is the Merlin Man rule. Have you heard about this? The uh, the Merlin Man rule is that anything that can be in a human butthole in a hotel room has been in a human butthole in a hotel oh, room. That's that's very interesting. I mean, because yeah. I think that like when you see this remote. And their their kind of brand promise that it has been cleaned thoroughly. Is there, All you can is think there a about tapered is, tip and like some ribbing? Well, you, you're gonna want you're gonna want a tapered tip, but you're also gonna want a flared base because you don't want it to go in and then get stuck. Adam, if you're gonna do some polar region stuff. Now with anal sex toys, you're gonna want a flared base. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah please continue you were gonna go we'll cut all this out 
Yeah. Adam, our next episode. <laughs> hey, Ben. Ben, what are we watching for the next episode? Get us out of this bit. <laughs> our next episode is season five, episode 17, The Outcast. A rescue mission leads to a dangerous romance between Riker and a rebellious member of an androgynous race. Do you remember this episode, Adam? They're all dangerous romances for one Will Riker, Ben. Yeah, he likes a little element of danger, doesn't he? I do like and remember this episode. Yeah, well, um, we don't have any vetoes, so that's what we're watching, Adam. I remember a husk being involved, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, you brought up that husk a couple eps ago. I'm excited to see if we see this husk or if it's just just mentioned in passing. As a young person, the idea of this husk was very memorable. (laughs) Did it uh, inform anything about your sexuality as an adult? (laughs) Well, a a very... Do you have a husk fetish, Adam? A very brief interest in husk porn, but that's it. You ever go on um, on Deviant Art and search husks? No, I haven't thought to until this moment. <laughs> I'm going to do a little research before the next episode, Ben. I'll let you know what I find out. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that will be our next episode. In the meantime, go on iTunes and leave a nice review for us. It helps people find the show. Go to maxfunstore.com and get some of our great merch. And, uh, hey, we're... Uh, we are in the thick of uh, preparing a plan for our upcoming tour, which is looking like it's going to happen later in the year, and also Greatest Gen Con 2017. If you want to be in the front line of people that learn about those things, I recommend you go to gach.biz slash mail and sign up for our mailing list, because uh, I think that that's probably going to be the first place that news goes. We're not sending people a bunch of mail. It's just when we have announcements, and we no, don't like have many. Lit- Literally, we've never sent any mail to this other than here. here is a show we are doing, and here's how you can go. It's one of the great mailing lists that way. Yeah. We do not abuse this thing. No. Uh, we should thank Adam Ragusia and Dark Materia for our music. Thanks, gents. And uh, if you want to interact with us online, there's a Greatest Gen subreddit. There's a great greatest gen facebook group and as always the greatest gen twitter hashtag is uh full of delightful things and uh you can follow adam at cut for time and me at benjamin r a h r that was a fairly complete conclusion ben well with that we will be (laughs) back at you next week with another great episode of star trek the next generation and an episode of the greatest generation that's uh, in the dungeon with that dungeon family, Adam. <laughs> AT aliens. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> really, really needed some bumpers on that joke. <laughs> it's got to be like at least a 35 percenter. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture.
Artist owned. Listener supported.